Welcome to Getting Curious. Just a quick note before we start this episode. This episode is going to deal with gun control, and since we recorded it on June 30th, we've had two men lose their lives uh, at the hands of law enforcement, which is obviously, you know, gun violence amongst some other factors. Uh, Also, we've had five police officers being killed in Dallas during a Black Lives Matter protest. And I just, I think it's crazy to point out that in the 13 days since we've recorded this episode, um, how much has happened. And we went on uh, gunviolencearchive.org to see if we could actually come up with an exact number. And there were so many I couldn't even count. There was multiple pages. So gun control, gun violence, it's a huge problem that I really hope we can come together and get curious about to get curious about how we can make some steps forward to try to prevent some of these tragedies. So with that being said, let's get started on this episode of Getting Curious. And also, my friend, my friends, my friends, in telling a story on this uh, episode, I got a little overexcited, and I, I mentioned a friend of mine's name by first name and last name, which I just got a little too excited. So I went ahead and Beatrix kiddoed that out in this episode. So you're going to hear a beep uh, when that happens. Didn't mean to do a shout out on the dirty. And uh, so we got to keep it real. That's what's happening here on Getting Curious. And without any further ado, welcome to the show. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. And this week we have Andre and Taylor joining us from the Everytown Project, which is basically one of my favorite situations. This is an organization that is bringing gun control awareness to us which we need in the most desperate way. And so basically we have Andre, who is the editorial manager of Everytown. And then we have Taylor, who is the deputy press secretary for Everytown. So welcome, Andre and Taylor. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here. We are so excited. This is actually, this is going to be our first episode of Getting Curious with two guests. Double the fun. We're we're excited about that. But, you know, really, we're going to bring it back to a, a serious note, is, you know, all of us were really horrified by what happened in Orlando. And unfortunately, that wasn't the first time that we've been horrified as a nation uh, with gun violence. And it's definitely not the first time that we've really had to look in the mirror at ourselves and say, like, what are we going to do about this? Um, This particular act of violence did hit um, even closer to home for me, being a 29-year-old gay man who I will totally go to a bar. And that has always been a safe place uh, for us to gather. So this really made me impassioned about wanting to talk about gun control and talk about just how we got here. Um, And I couldn't think of two better people to talk to uh, than you two to help us get some information. Because as my therapist says, the only way to get out of a place of victimhood is to get yourself into a place of power. And for me, power is knowledge. And that's why I wanted to bring you guys in. That's a really succinct uh, approach. I like it. Thank you. I want to start off with just basically like what what is every town and what do you guys do? So Every Town for Gun Safety is the largest gun violence prevention organization in the country. We are born of a merger between Mayors Against Illegal Guns, which was a group started by several big city mayors in 2006, and Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America, which is a mouthful, but we go back, we call it Moms Demand, and they are kind of our grassroots arm, the the people who are out there marching and host having events and really um, building the grassroots um, elements of this movement. Um, and for a long time, you know, there wasn't that, that kind of dueling forces where, so MAG existed as a, MAG is Mayors Against Illegal Guns, existed as kind of a research organization that was an legal organization and some communication stuff. And it had 
uh, a policy arm and it was coming up with really interesting ideas and reports and uh, things that could be implemented, but without the grassroots force behind it, it was hard, it was hard to get those things actually accomplished. So enter um, Moms Demand Action, which was formed in the wake of the tragedy at Sandy a Hook after, a day yeah. after Sandy Hook. Um, I'll let Taylor talk about that side of things in a sec, not to gender this too much. She just happens to work more with moms uh, than I do. Um, but it's it's a it's an organization committed to finding solutions to, um, you know, stopping this crisis and preventing more people from losing, you know, dying senselessly from gun violence. Yeah, so I, I love the mom story because it really speaks to how much individual people and people um, really across the country can actually get around and make a difference on this issue. And so the day after Sandy Hook, um, Shannon Watts founded a Facebook page that took off um, and turned into Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. And now there's a chapter in every single state and moms and dads and aunts and uncles and everybody else go to their state houses multiple times every year trying to press for better gun laws. And we've actually seen a lot of success doing that. That's amazing. So then when did when did moms uh, demand gun action and then uh, the, the Meg, the mayors, when did they come together to, to start every town? That, so the the technic, the merger officially took place in April of 2014. That is great. And I mean, you guys have really done a good job of uh, being very visible because Everytown is definitely an organization that I've heard of. All of my friends have heard about it, even, you know, before Orlando. But a very good friend of mine, Jeffrey Self, organized a telethon where we were raising money and we actually donated it to Everytown. And that was really when I was like, oh, my gosh, these people are on, on fire. They are working. They are living. Uh, so I love that. So congrats on that. Super happy that you guys are doing this important work. Now I want to talk about like the Voldemort, uh, the, the other one, which is the NRA. So who are they? And like, what's their, what do we know of their story from this side? Sure. So the NRA uh, has been around for a long time, first and foremost, I think 1877. Oof. And they are, and I think we, we at Everytown, uh, our interpretation of the NRA is, is that there was really a major shift in the organization in around 1977. This is kind of well documented where they used to be kind of your like a sportsman and, and hunting organization devoted to, you know, teaching people marksmanship and, you know, all things that we're totally fine with at Everytown. We're not, you know, against the Second Amendment in that interpretation and, and whatnot. So they were, and you know, it's, it's interesting. I saw my, my grandfather had a patch from like that he left behind from World War II and he had like a NRA marksman class thing. So they taught gun safety and they were, they were, you know, helping hunters and around 1977. Uh, and I, I wish I could get you all the history because I, I, there's some I should brush up on myself, but they went and took a very, very much more political turn at their annual convention uh, or their annual meetings. There was there was sort of a, a group of radicals inside the organization who took it over and basically made it a much more um, aggressively political organization that over the last 35 years or so has really focused on this sort of guns everywhere for everyone all the time you know, any common sense regulations or policies, you know, they're, they're against. And so they've, they've gone in that direction. There's a lot of reasons, you know, people speculate as to why, but I think most would probably agree with that general assessment. Right. So, I mean, I, and not that I'm 
and I know you just said like you would need to brush up on some of your, but like, do you think they saw like a threat or something? Like, was there some popular thing at the time that was like, we're going to take all the guns? Like, why did they get so cray cray about really aggressively pushing guns everywhere, like washing our hands? Like, just because? There is some evidence, especially in the last couple decades and, and more so even recently. And there's been there's a really interesting article in The New Yorker magazine about this recently um, that I need to read in, in full. But it sums up some things I've, I've read over the years, which are, is basically that hunting and sportsmen, that stuff is actually going down in terms of number of people who are doing it. And so handgun, it used to be that rifles, uh, you know, for hunting and whatnot, were the primary seller. And now, um, with that being less of a frequent activity, you're seeing a huge increase in handguns. And I think that the NRA has, in tandem with the gun industry, sold fear, um, you know, broadly as, as something that sells. And so I think that, you know, probably some people internally were, you know, had their ideology, but they piggy, you know, they could piggyback on that with a major industry that's selling, you know, billions of dollars in, in firearms. And there's a lot of evidence that uh, the number of people owning guns is actually way down, but the number of guns sold is way up. So it's fewer and fewer people buying more and more guns. And I think an extremist agenda fuels that. And it's, you know, a lot of it's driven by fear. I will, I will just say there that one thing we know when we actually poll NRA members is that they're not really represented by the leadership because most NRA members actually support things like a background check on every gun sale, um, which is every town's top priority is ensuring that every gun sale includes a background check. And so we actually have members that are, are volunteers with every town and Moms Demand Action that also are NRA members. There's more overlap there than you'd think because people who care about guns actually do tend to support things like a background check. Right. Cause that, that seems pretty, it seems pretty basic that, that you would want a background check. I, I think of like, <clears throat> this is kind of sad, but like, I think it was in 2013, there was, there was some mass shooting, one of them, I, it could have, I think it was Sandy Hook. And I basically said like, Oh no, it was even before that it was Aurora. And I wrote on Facebook, I said, how was this person able to access guns with like such a lengthy history of mental illness? And I, and then I said something on Facebook about like how, you know, I wish that we had, I wish that it was a little more difficult for people to get so guns or to get guns, you know, so readily and easily. And, of, and someone who I really look up to, he so quickly was like, look, Chicago's got the, t the strictest gun laws in the country. They also have the highest gun violence. He basically went on like an NRA bullet point deluge at me about like why what I had said was wrong. And I was like, wow, this is someone who's like very smart. I've always looked up to him and he's literally vomiting crap. <laughs> like he's literally vomiting like uneducated crap. And I was surprised to hear it from him. Um, and so basically my question is, is like, you know, when people like you two start to talk about uh, gun control with people who are, you know, just kind of the kind of people that would say the type of things that make me, that make my skin crawl about, like, like, what are the tactics that the NRA, like, pro-gun people use against people like us? And what could our tactics be when we're trying to, like, just in daily life, talk some sense into someone? Or is that, a, like, a waste of time? Like, what do you guys no, think? I don't think that's a waste of time at all. And I, I actually am just personally a believer in, like, that a lot of the best conversations do happen at that person-to-person -person level above the kind of daily din of of polarization and anger and kind of just, you know, 
dividing people into camps because that that stuff can become you know you have to do it to draw contrast but but i see that sometimes people respond to that by feeling threatened or you know they hear what they want to hear and it they're fueled by you know people who have their own agendas to make it seem that any sensible policy discussion is you know the end of your guns forever and we've tried you know very hard and assiduously at every time to carve out this kind of middle ground where you know, we're not against responsible gun ownership, but, you know, I agree. It, it can be frustrating because there's such a, there's such a, you know, conscientious effort uh, by the other side to paint any discussion as this, you know, this, it's the classic slippery slope. So you want we, you shouldn't be able to meet a guy at a parking lot at Walmart to get, um, you know, an, you know, a, a, a gun. Uh, oh, they're coming for all your guns. Right. Yes. And so like, the conversation, you know, deteriorates so quickly at times because there are these sort of prepared responses that ignore, um, you know, the actual things that at least we are pushing for. And, you know, I don't doubt that there have been times over the years that some people are just, you know, viscerally anti-gun and, and people feel threatened by that. They feel like you're not I'm not I'm a responsible gun owner and it's not fair to think of me as that way. And we try to avoid that wherever possible. Um, but I think it's important to kind of parse out who's saying what and, and you know, be and, and then really think carefully about the actual policies, because like Taylor said, the actual polling shows that there's less polarization on this than the NRA would like people to believe there is um, and that there's a lot of solutions and things that we can actually all agree on. I know that sounds like a little hunky dory and like but but it's true and we'll, we'll get to more in a moment. But Taylor, do you want to add to that? I'm from North Carolina and I learned how to shoot guns probably when I was seven. Um, and I think there's a lot of things that you hear about, particularly when I'm back home in the South, having this sort of conversation that people think that we're trying to take their guns away. And the fact is that if you have a dangerous mental illness, um, if you're a domestic abuser, if you are on the terrorist watch list, then yes, you shouldn't be able to go into a store and buy a gun. You also shouldn't be able to go on the internet and buy a gun, which currently is a lot easier, and we can delve into that. But um, I, but yeah, there's categories of people, right? Um, and we really try to focus there on those most dangerous people. Um, that there are simple steps we can take to make it less likely that they'll be able to buy a gun. So we have to go to a break in like a second, and I have like a million more questions for after that break. But I want to do something like I want to do like I literally want to do a role play, Taylor. So we're so we're gonna do this. You be you be you, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be my friend Beep, who I love. Also, like he he is great, and he's also not the ones I'm worried about having a gun. He can have a gun all day long. He's not gonna hurt anyone. I'm obsessed with him. But let's role play, right? So, uh, okay. So you do your you do what you would. Or I'll say what I would say. <laughs> How are we supposed to like protect ourselves from crazy people with guns if I can't go buy a gun right now? Well, if you feel comfortable going to buy a gun, you should be able to buy a gun, assuming that you're not a domestic abuser, um, that you're not a felon, and that you're not dangerously mentally ill. But isn't it my Second Amendment right that I should be able to go just get a gun, like, right now? Like, I just, I would like to buy it right now to protect myself. So, the average background check takes about 90 seconds. Um, so, it's not really going to inconvenience you to, to go through that on the way. Um, do you agree that felons and domestic abusers should not have access to firearms? Yes. 
I'm so bad at the role play because I agree with you too much. I can't. I'm like, I'm, I'm just not that good of an actor. I tried. I went for it. I'm just not that good at it. Okay. So more substantive information uh, right after the break. We'll be back in 2.5 with more Getting Curious. Hey guys, this is Adam Conover. You may know me from my true TV show, Adam Ruins Everything. Well, guess what? Now we're doing a podcast version right here on Maximum Fun. What we do is we take all the interesting, fascinating experts that we talk to for just a couple minutes on the show, and we sit with them for an entire podcast, really going deep and getting into the fascinating details of their work. Find Adam Ruins Everything wherever you get your podcasts or at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. We are joined by Taylor and Andre. They both work for uh, Brain Farting for Every Town. And I'm so excited to have you guys in um, for this. And so let's just get right back to where we're going. So obviously with everything with Orlando and Sandy Hook and Aurora, all the way back to Columbine, which is like the first mass shooting that I remember as a child, I do think that there's this thing that happens where like it's all everyone wants to talk about. And then there's this tactic of like, well, it's not really, it just, it's like this complacency. It just, it just kind of starts to go away. And I started to, I watched John Oliver's takedown of, or, you know, synopsis of everything that happened. And he basically was saying that the NRA is so strong because they only focus on one word, which is no. And they have such a strong, you know, message and, and mission statement because it's, it's not super diverse other than just like, no, 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 no. So how would you guys suggest to, the, to our listeners to keep this conversation going? Like, what can they do to really activate themselves in the conversation of not going away and not becoming complacent and hopeless feeling? Vote on the issue. So if you know that your congressman... See, one of the things about the NRA that's, you know, I have to tip my cap to them for a moment in, in a kind of backhanded way is that because they have they have mobilized a small fraction of people who are incredibly committed to just this one thing, which is expanding, you know, gun rights to every single realm of, of American life and society and arming yourselves, you know, uh, to a great deal. Right. So if that's your one thing and that's the, they've mobilized people, a relatively small number of people who that's their only issue. And so it doesn't actually take, millions in some instances it takes several thousand if you think about a congressional race where let's say 200,000 people will vote and you have um 10,000 of them who are adamant about this one issue well politicians for the most part um think in terms of re-election and so if you have 10,000 people who are diehard super passionate about one thing that that can be very tough because that can be the difference between a win and a loss in a close in a close election. And so as you know, a lot of people who are, you know, into gun violence prevention, they come from all over the political map. Some are, you know, many are on, on the left, but there are especially outside of cities, there are many Republican Republicans and things of that nature. But we for too long, you know, haven't haven't had that as a single issue voter. And now Part of what every town's doing is driving it as a single issue and making people sort of that being their their consciousness as a voter. So the first and foremost thing is voting. Like that's what I would say first and foremost. And Taylor? Well, I think what you're talking about a little bit is the intensity gap issue, which um, the NRA has a very riled up base. Um, and the fact is now is that so do we. 
after Sandy Hook, people rallied in a way that was incredible, and it's brought an entirely new momentum to the issue. There have been six states since Sandy Hook that have passed a background check on every gun sale. And so after Sandy Hook, it took four months to get a vote in Congress. Um, and after Orlando, it was confirmed after four days that we'd have a vote, and then the next week they voted. And yeah, it failed, but it also meant that there was real people were going to be held accountable on the issue. And that's incredible. And that's something that we will take to the polls in November. And I think what Taylor said about in states too, you know, a lot of times after, because the issue is front and center so often after tragedies, it, it can be, you know, it's a challenge of our job is telling the story about what's going on in the states and not just in Congress. Cause people just are like, Oh, well gun, you know, there's a tragedy that happened and Congress isn't going to act again. But we've taken that mentality and sort of said, well, okay, let's go where we can get stuff done. And so in places like Maine right now and Nevada, there are um, ballot initiatives to make sure that there are a background check on every gun sale because private sales of guns still do not require background checks in those states. And that's how a lot of crime guns filter into places where we see gun violence each and every day. Gun violence, by the way, that doesn't get enough coverage. Can I tell you one more thing? Yes, please. Um, so the other thing that's just, I think is really relevant, particularly after Orlando, now that we're working with a lot more LGBT, LGBTQ groups than ever before, um, is that the best model when you look at going to the States and being successful is the marriage equality movement. And we take a lot of inspiration from that because that was a movement that did not have success federally and went to States and really changed the, the situation and the conversation. And that's exactly what we're doing on this issue, well, too. This leads me to my next question. So one, um, I had a, this Twitter rumble with this fucking idiot who was uh, talking about all this stuff. And and so basically he was saying that, you know, Chicago passed some of the, the strictest gun laws in the country, which I don't even know if that's true. But he said that they did. And then he said that, like, they also had the highest uh, rates of gun violence. But then I was thinking... If we federally don't have, like, you know, cohesive laws, and it's, and it's you know, Chicago, it's very hard to get a gun. But then if you can just pop 20 minutes across the border to Indiana and walk in somewhere really quick, it seems like there is an issue of, like, you know, a cohesiveness of, like, state legislature and then federal legislation, you know, to get so that we can be equally protected everywhere. And I understand that, like, you know, you have to go where you can get a win. But is that just more of an issue of, like, what you were saying Andre, of like, you just need to be educated. So when you go to vote, like, you need to know, like, who is running in your for your state legislature representative and your federal Senate and your federal Congress. Like, you really need to be educated as far as, like, who is taking money from the NRA if this is an issue that's important to you. Because we need it everywhere. A hundred percent. And actually, I would argue that in many ways, the state, those the role of, of your vote in those state legislative races and, and the role of the NRA is actually more important. Right. Because if you have a state house that's fairly divided and there are 35 state reps or whatever, or 35 state senators, give or take, each of those races might be getting 15,000 votes, let's say. So now think of if, if you have a thousand passionate, you know, people on the other side. That's a real difference. That's a so, not to tip the motherfucking scale. And, right. And, and it's like, you know, because a lot of our discourse sort of focuses on these like big moments after after tragedies and like big congressional votes, we kind of forget that like there were years and years and years of like conscious strategy on the other side to build their their movement and build their power in, you know, literally down to local races in in tiny 
tiny, you know, state rep districts in small states around the country. And so it really does start at those local races. Like, I think that's critical. So very important to like, don't show up to the polling office, like not knowing who's running for your state Congress and your state Senate. Like we need to be Googling this. A hundred percent. And those are often like super low turnout races. You know, like it's like people might not be reading their local newspaper and it's kind of the same old cast of characters who vote every time. But like one of the things that why I'm plugging why people should join every town is and just go to everytown.org and there'll be plenty of links to join us. But is that we are mobilizing people in those races that, you know, may not make the national news and may not get a listicle of their own on BuzzFeed about the 10 worst state senators in Delaware. Right. right? But we are doing that. And so if you know and so and we will let you know, I can promise you our digital team will be like pretty relentless in informing you and in texting you and um and so you know I think that that we have to sort of cultivate that mentality where people are thinking about this in their you know everyday voting patterns um and you know over a period of time, I think you and we already are seeing you know measures of change so Taylor, here's a question for you uh this is like really kind of basic, but I think it's important like. What what is the Second Amendment, comma? Why are people so? This is literally how I wrote the question. Why are people so up to ask about it? <laughs> like like what 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 is it? Like what why what what does it all mean, Basil? Yeah. So every town supports the Second Amendment, which means that you have the right to own a gun, um, but with rights come responsibilities. So that means that, and the court has has said this many times that that is a right that is allowed to have um, some rules attached to it, which is why we push for things like a background check on every gun sale, which is actually the easiest way and the most um, simplest way to make sure that people like felons and domestic abusers don't get a gun. There are 18 states that have a background check on every gun sale. And in those states, half, about half the women um, are killed by intimate partners oh. um, with guns. And um, there's actually about half the gun suicides as well. Gun trafficking is cut in half. So that shows that when people say that more gun control will not work, that shows that that is not true because yeah. it is consistently halved. Yeah. And the other the other point to think about is that there's actually one state, Missouri, um, that has taken away their background check system. And when they did that, more people died from gun violence. So there is a direct correlation to more gun control, less gun violence. Like, that is not a myth. I wouldn't frame it exactly like that. Um, I would say that when you put a background check on every gun sale, then, yes, there is less going to be less gun violence. And, you know, speaking of what you're saying with your friend, I, I think, like, sometimes, you know, we, we are trying in many ways to, to reframe how this is – the issue is talked about because I do think, like, even just the word – gun control mm -hmm. it can evoke a certain like you're coming for our guns yeah, like, i don't and, want to be controlled yeah right, exactly. exactly and so and and it's like and that and then the other side plays on that very skillfully they create these you know videos of you know and and like very you know polished you know commercials showing you know trying telling the story of someone who you know they can they came for their gun and and they just like find these sort of outlandish instances and lose like sight of, of the facts. And um, so I, I think it's like, we try to be careful just about how we frame the issue because we, we don't want to give into that perception that they've 
spent millions of dollars trying to create. So basically it's like we learned in yoga teacher training when I did my yoga teacher training, like all human feelings come from like one of two places originally it's like fear or love. So it's like, don't, meet their fear with more fear like like or anger like come with love and compassion because that would end up getting you farther potentially maybe yeah Yeah. we should bring that to our next (laughs) team team meeting (laughs) i mean i think that it goes back to a lot of of what we were saying starting out this conversation which is that when you have a person-to-person conversation about this issue um you really do find that you're a lot closer together than you think you are the language of the issue can absolutely get in the way and people can get really nervous um about about the idea um, of, of gun, quote unquote, gun control. Um, but when you talk to them about gun safety and you talk to them about um, the basics, like like background checks, then people tend to get on board. And I think just in general, too, is like it, it like, let's be honest, conflict sells and and conflict fuels a lot of discussion. And sometimes like like I'll tell you, you know, for example, there's a there's a the Nick's background check system. It sounds like really unexciting, but the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, and in a lot of states the where there were background checks being done on sales at, at licensed dealers, um, the, the records that were going into there weren't being sent to, like, uh, mental health records were not getting into the system. They weren't communicating this the records well enough, right? So there would be a breakdown. That's what happened at Virginia Tech. He was actually, should have been flagged, but they hadn't sent his records into the system. And it's like, Something like that, you know, since then, we have actually done a great deal of work on shoring up. And that's just not that controversial, right? Like, it's and it's not that, you know, exciting an issue to explain. But it's like that something like that, just communicating between government agencies and making those things more efficient and creating those processes can like legitimately save lives. Um, But so much of the discussion sometimes comes after these you know, tremendous tragedies. And so it, it um, can obscure some of the kind of, uh, you know, more this, the, I guess, administrative matters that, you yeah. know, sound boring, but really can save lives. And I do, I think it's important just because, you know, we're talking now because it's right after Orlando, but 91 Americans die every day from gun violence. So mm. it, that's huge. It, yeah, it's huge. It's, it's huge every day. And that's, Part of what's really tragic about this issue up until recently is that those 91 um, weren't as remembered as they should be. Um, and in that 91, about two thirds are suicides. And so it's it's a lot about, you know, things like background checks that really do make a difference. But there's there's just so much more we can do. One thing I heard you guys saying is that, like, basically, like the NRA had like a huge head start, like in the 70s or whatever, they really started working for this and working for this while we were kind of like a frog in the boiling water, just sitting around getting boiled to death, like not really knowing how to catch up. And now it seems like we just are kind of in a game of catching up. Well, it's not a game, but we're just kind of in this process of catching up and really becoming more aware and really cluing more into what's going on around us. And the way we do that is by educating ourselves and getting our ass out to vote, uh, which is so important. And then another cue I have is like, like, what are the current gun laws? Like, I mean, do they vary state by state? Like, if I, in L.A., like, right now, like, could I just, like, walk down to the gun place and get a gun right now? Or, and it, like, sounds like in Missouri, there, like, basically is none. Uh, so, the, it, you're definitely right. It's a it's a patchwork of stuff that varies a great deal by state. Um, you could get a gun pretty easily still in in California. Well, they would tell you that you can't easily, but um, <laughs> it's 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 certainly more difficult than it would be in Missouri, where you could go on a site called Beep. I don't want to plug it because yeah, 
It's basically the Craigslist of guns, yeah, and you we can we'll bleep it. We'll bleep it in the edit. <laughs> but so, just, but it's relatively like really very easy. So yeah, what that basically in means certain states, yeah, yeah, in certain states, it's it's considerably more difficult to get a concealed carry permit, which is where you can like carry in public. Um, a shotgun to go like hunting, pretty easy anywhere. But then again, most people aren't. Uh, most people who go hunting with shotguns aren't killing people, right? What what, just to clarify on a, a background check on every gun sale. So if you go into a gun shop in Missouri and you're talking to a licensed gun dealer, that person does still have to run a background check. The people who don't um, are when you're buying from someone who's just a person on the internet on a site like the one Andre mentioned, or if you're going to a gun show and you're dealing with a private dealer, those folks are not required to um, have a background check on those purchases. So that's really where... The, the fatal gaps. And really with iPhones, like I can run anything on my phone when I'm like checking out a client, I can look up anything. So it couldn't be that hard to like enforce that to make private people have some sort of app to do the background check. Like it, it could not be that hard. I once heard a stat that there are more registered licensed gun dealers than post offices in the, in the, or like I, Starbucks and McDonald's. Or Starbucks yeah. or McDonald's. It, it's, it's really like, I think nine, like 99% of Americans, don't quote me on this, but like 99% of Americans live within 10 minutes of a, of a, a licensed dealer. And again, I, you know, people say, oh, well, such and such did pass a background check. And that, like, n- you know, no one law is going to stop every single incident. But it's like, we don't, we don't say like, oh, you know, uh, there should be no speeding laws just because some oh, people 100%. drive 95 miles an hour, you know, in a 60. Like, I mean, look at after September 11th, like how we have managed gun laws in this country would be like after September 11th if we were, if we were like they're going to break in anyway let's just take off the cabin door to the crew everyone should be able to run in and out everyone should be able to do round up at handsprings down the aisles no checks before you get on the plane bring it all let's go honey and cross our fingers that that's literally what it feels like it, there is no sense in it from what i can see as as far as where we have gotten now with the lack of of gun control one more cue well a few more cues but we're going to start to wrap up so one thing i often hear in this in this talk in this country is like from people that are in form of new gun ideas because i don't want to say control but new gun ideas is like you know england australia australia had like a massive or they had a mass shooting in 1994 which prompted them to do this huge buyback like this national buyback of guns and now it is much more difficult in australia to have a gun they literally had their first mass shooting since 1994 last year so it seems like it's kind of working the uk it's much harder to get a gun canada they don't have guns so we have these kind of contemporaries who seem to have a model that kind of works correct is that am i right about that well i guess this country has 300 million guns yeah so that's where i was going to start is is there's there's already 300 million guns so let's start where like under the context of like making it harder for people to get their hands on the existing pile and then we'll you know like that that's my mission. <laughs> so it's almost um, like so it's almost like when people say when people start to say like what I just said, it's almost like it doesn't matter because unfortunately we don't live in the UK or Australia, so we need to focus on our situation here. Because when I think about when I compare us to those countries, I just get a little hopeless and sad. Because it's like how don't be hopeless and sad. It's really not hopeless. I, I really see progress every day. Um, I mean, I think that the momentum is actually on our side and we're seeing that in states across the give country. Give us a warm fuzzy, give us a warm fuzzy, Taylor. What, give me, what's a, what's a progress point? I, I, tell me a story. I want to know a progress story. So here's my, here's my progress story that, that warms my heart. 
So in Georgia this year, um, we had a Republican legislature that passed legislation against the will of the university presidents, the university students all across the state um, did not want guns on their campuses. And yet the Republican legislature, um, with a lot of NRA influence, um, decided against, decided to just vote it through. So Georgians stood up in huge numbers, basically the first time they've ever stood up in such numbers to say, hey, we actually don't want guns on our college campuses. We don't think students are safe um, with, with that environment. We don't think that that's safe for disciplinary hearings. We don't think that's safe for the rape culture that we have on college campuses. And for once, people actually just raising their voices and talking about the issue and talking to their elected officials, even in a state like Georgia, actually mattered. And the governor of Georgia vetoed guns on campus, which is just not not something that would have happened a few years ago. And really, to me, says that this is working. It's not a Republicans versus Democrats issue. It's really just a matter of public safety and preventing gun violence. We are we are seeing success across the South and across the country and actually pushing back against NRA laws that are terrible and dangerous um, and actually proactively getting good stuff on the books, too. I love that story. So these are my takeaways. And this is like the moment in my podcast where I always say it's like a yoga class where like if there was something that you want, if you wanted to hit a little handstand, but I didn't teach handstands today and you need to hit yourself a little handstand, I'd love to hear about it. But these are my takeaways. Basically, the people on the other side of the issue aren't demons. They're actually still just people. So if we could just talk to them in a less threatening way and realize that a lot of there's more that. I hate to say something like Paul, that Speaker of the House boy, because that's how he talks about Trump. He's like, there's more that unites us than divides us. But that's kind of how it is with the other side of the of the gun control debate. Like the, on the people on the other side, there's more that unites us than divides us. So when I think about like when I was telling you guys a story about the guy on Twitter, I don't need to say like some asshole. I could say like some person and just kind of lighten up the lyric a little because we're all just wanting to live. Right. So it's like we just like don't need to demonize the other side as much and then really get into the knowledge and really educate yourself on your local state races. Like those are my well, two big takeaways. What do you guys think? To be clear, you can demonize the NRA leadership as much as you want. Um, because they But the people actually, that we're just having chitty chats with. The, the chitty chat people, yes. They're not they're not the problem. But the NRA leadership, yes, is crazy. And, and who the fu- who are they? Well, what are their names? Do we know who those names who what are their names? Sure. Uh, the, the, the guy who runs things has been there uh, for a couple, few decades now. His name is Wayne LaPierre. Um, his kind of deputy, who's the, the leader of the lobbyists, of the NRA lobbyists, is a guy named Chris Cox. Um, and look, these are, you know, these are guys who are drawing tremendously lucrative salaries from, um, you know, with, with pictures of them with gun manufacturers and like giant checks like you would see on sweepstakes yeah. clearing in the 90s if you're a 90s kid yeah. happy gilmore um, got it and and you know there there is a there's they are they are you know fueling they are driving fear and and many times hate um to sell more guns and um convince people that they are under attack um and it and that's okay i think and there are groups frankly to their right, who are even more extreme than the NRA, um, and we have real problems with the with the positions they put forward. But if you are a law-abiding person and you like to hunt with your family or protect your family, we want you to pre- practice safe storage and make sure you lock your gun in your home so that your kid, you know, there's been a, 
epidemic of kids uh, unintentionally shooting unintentionally shooting themselves. We we don't like to call them accidental because if you don't lock your gun and a three year old gets it, that's not an accident. Uh, I think you're right. We can we can you know we can stand for for being united with with almost the vast majority of of gun owners. What about you, Taylor? Anything else that we need to any Ashtabhakrasana that we need to hit before we get out of here? <laughs> I, I love your language for talking about it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is really an issue where if it hasn't, I think what, what we hear a lot is that, um, you know, it's, if you don't know someone that's been affected, it's harder to understand why this is so terrible until, um, until it affects you or someone, you know, or a community that really hits close to home. We feel it in these big moments and then it goes away. And, um, one of the really incredible things about every town is that, we have part of our organization called Every Town Survivor Network, where survivors of gun violence, so that's folks who really directly survived and also their families. So if someone was, was killed by gun violence, we have a lot of, um, of mothers and sisters and that sort of thing um, that also talk. And when you hear their stories, um, which I would really encourage people to, to do and to listen to the survivors of gun violence on this issue, um, it's really hard not to want to get involved and to prevent other people from going through what they've been through. And um, this it's, you know, it's a political issue, but it is so freaking personal when you talk to the families that are directly hit by this. Um, and there's so, and so senseless so much of the time. It's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's just so senseless. So for all my Gorginas that are listening right now, um, where can they join at every town? Where can they get on the email list? Where can they find you guys? Uh, where can they get involved? Yeah, so you can go to everytown.org, um, or if you're just on your phone listening right now, you can actually just text uh, Demand Action to 64433, and that will also get you signed up to, to learn more and to know when stuff is happening in your area. We also have a great uh, Facebook page with over a million, I think we're up to like 1.1 million supporters which kind of keeps people informed as to the day-to-day stuff that they, that they might not otherwise be hearing about. Um, and we're on Twitter. Um, so really... We're in every town. We're in every town. Love that. Yeah. Well, Andre and Taylor, I'm so grateful that you guys took your time to talk to us. And I would love to have you guys back to talk more about gun stuff. Um, Got to keep this conversation going. And I really am just so grateful for you guys coming on to talk to me. We're so glad to be here. Thank yeah, you again. Thank you. thank you guys so much. And thanks so much for listening to Getting Curious. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness, and my guests this week, Andre Berman and Taylor Maxwell of Everytown. You'll find links to Andre, Taylor, and Everytown in the episode description of whatever device you're listening to the show on. You can follow me on Twitter at The Gay of Thrones and on Instagram at Gay of Thrones. Also, look for our Getting Curious group on Facebook. Become a member. Tell us what you're curious about. We really want to know. We love feedback. We also live for a tweet. Hashtag it. Getting Curious. What's the deal? tell us everything um our theme music is freaked by quinn thanks to her so much for letting us use it and if you enjoyed our show please tell all your friends about us tell all your friends your mom your dad your sister we really appreciate it um special thanks to jennifer marmer for her help during this episode's recording it was very influential and clutch because honey uh and also getting curious is produced by christian duaneas and colin anderson of maximumfun.org MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.